moment of your life, man. And you're off somewhere missing. I am not. Shut up. Our fathers were our models for God. If our fathers bailed, what does that tell you about God? Listen to me. You have to consider the possibility that God does not like you. He never wanted you. In all probability, he hates you. This is not the worst thing that can happen. It isn't. We don't need him. We don't agree. We gotta go. Fuck damnation, man. Fuck redemption. We are God's unwanted children. So be it. Listen. You can run water over your hand and make it worse. Or look at me. Or you can use vinegar to neutralize the burn. Please let me have it. Please. First, you have to give up. First, you have to know, not fear. Know that someday you're gonna die. Hello there, and welcome to Pivotal Film. I am Tom Nolan. And I'm Mario Ponzio. And we're at 31. One more after this in the 30s, and then into the 20s. That's where people start caring about lists, I think. 20s, right? I don't know. Like 25? Like you know, For the most part, you see top 25s and top 20s and top 10s. And like Sometimes Vulture will do an article of like, oh, top 37 indie films. I don't know, I feel like there was a lot of top 50s at the end of last year. There was a lot of top 50s, but like the top 20s, you know, that's where... That's where things are getting a little serious. This is where you separate the wheat from the chaff. No. Chaff. Chaff. Uh, Lincoln. Okay, oh, man. I can't remember his last name now. Who? He ran for the Democratic nomination. Oh, Lincoln, Lincoln Chaffee? Chaffee? Yeah. Yeah, it took me. Just saying out. Uh, oh, he's, yeah. now, he's now running for, I think, like the Libertarian. Great. Yeah. He's going to win. Watch him win. Fine. Gotta be fine with Lincoln Chaffee being president, I guess. Um, yeah, that's not a serious conversation we need to have. <laughs> no. Um, yeah, more brown ales, folks. It ended up being that February was the uh, month of brown ales. Who knew? Yeah. You said you couldn't find any brown ales. You said nobody makes any brown ales. And you were shown up. Although, not really, because there was like one brown ale per liquor store in yeah. all of Connecticut. Well, I found, so, like, I left. we left a couple on the table. So, at the liquor store that I usually go to, Amity wine and spirits or whatever there was three that we hadn't already had on the podcast and that's like and one of them is from florida build, and that's a huge like um yeah liquor store yeah one of them was from florida it's like like ten thousand square feet or something like that it's i mean the beer selection is like maybe a quarter yeah but still that, that you know, is the rest of it's you know wine and two full rows like back to back of beer selection yeah and, and then and a, a lot of domestic back, stuff. like cooler. But you know what the problem is that we've drink so much domestic stuff on this show. Like, well, it's not farm the s- table. Farm the table, right? It's not like you're looking at things and you're just like, well, that's not interesting. Except for that one time we went to Nebraska. Yeah, well, that was, that was close. Um, this is Burnside, but it's a Burnside Brown Ale. It's from Foundation Brewing Company out of Portland, Portland Maine. Maine. I've been to this place numerous times. People love Maine the hell out farms of it. provide part of the grist used in this beer. We happy with it? Yeah. Farm the table. That really is farm the table. This beer is a living product. Some sediment may naturally occur. The blend of Just, malts it used. It becomes like the blob. Yeah. <laughs> Just melts my arm. <laughs> yeah, that makes it more interesting so, podcast. 
The grist is pale oats brown and crystal. I don't know what that really means. The 5.1%. I do like that they put the gravity on this. I don't know why I like that, but I like that. Does it matter since it's in Ding a can? What, the gravity yeah. aspect? No, gravity... I don't actually remember what gravity meant. I used to know when I homebrewed for a while, but I don't remember. That's pretty good. Mm. Ooh, that's that is tasty. Foundation is is really solid with their beers. Have you had a Foundation's? Have you had like Foundation IPAs no, before? No. Maybe uh, they're starting mm. to be canned down here. I'm noticing not canned. They're still canned up there, but they're mm-hmm. finally distributing here. Um, and I've noticed a few of their IPAs. Um, Epiphany, which is like kind of like their flagship, like mm-hmm. the, what would be their Sea Hag or Counterweight, um, or their Sixty Men IPA. If we want to talk national for our listeners, uh, it's it's pretty solid. Yeah, this is very good. I mean, you actually get Our some beer of the advocate stuff that has a ninety-eight percent out of two th- of twelve hundred votes. Oh, so it's you know it's legitimate. No, it's like an Amazon product that has twenty-six hundred reviews and two thousand two hundred or four stars or five stars, and there's a lot of people whose stuff just got broken in shipping. And they just give it a one star. Yeah, because that is the justification of the product. But no, this is a it's it's not. Heavy, but it has a nice feel on the tongue. It coats the tongue well. It's got a lot of flavor, which is, a, mm-hmm. I think, the first brown we've had in a couple of weeks that doesn't just taste like a brown ale. I'm trying. You get some of the, I get a lot of chocolate in there's there. A, there's a little a, bit yeah, of that chocolate. chocolate. There's a really heavy grain bill, though, to it. So it's got like a really, like, once again, kind of a bread flavor, but it's more toasty on this mm-hmm. part, on this time. So it's kind of got like a ancient grain bread style toasted. A little bit. On the tongue. Maybe. It's good, though. Good. I do like it. Good work, Foundation. Um, you know what the foundation of any movie is, Tom? Uh, the animation. A solid N, a solid IP. Human teeth. <laughs> uh, no, that's like the opposite is true. Human teeth are bad for movies. Um, Unless it's Halloween 2018. I think, do you think people just based off of that know what we're talking about? I, I think they do. I think so. I think they do. It is uh, Sonic the Hedgehog. I'm Sonic. A little ball of super energy? In an extremely handsome package. On my planet, people were always after my powers. So I came to yours. It gets a little lonely, but that's okay. I am living my best life on Earth. Ow! Let the plate Sonic! Let the bitches mount also Sonic! Ugh, I can't with that guy. Uh-oh. Uh... Ah! Ah! Why are you hiding out in my garage? They're coming for me! If they steal my power, they could conquer the universe. You have to help me. No, I don't. Please, it's life or death. Super Sonic. <laughs> is that song in the movie? If, I don't know. Maybe it is. I did not see this. Yeah, it's uh, fine. Listeners. Why, um, why am I saying listeners so often? I saw it with my kids in a full theater. Uh, it's doing last extremely week. well. Um, no, this weekend. So, yeah, the second weekend, full full theater in the, bi- in like the big theater. It's filming like $24, million, yeah. million dollars too. Um, in this movie, a Sonic, voiced by Ben Schwartz, right? Ben Schwartz, I think is his yeah, name. Yeah, Ben Schwartz. He uh, did from John Ralphio and Parks and Rec. And other things, but I know as John Ralph. Most sure. people know him as John um, Ralph. Sonic escapes 
from the land that he's being raised in by an owl through a portal opened he's, he's by a, a magic ring. He's like an alien, right? He's on a different No, planet. I would say he's an alien per se. It's just different worlds. It's one of those different worlds things. And he's been skipping from world to world trying to avoid people that want to capture him for his powers. He ends up on Earth in Montana. Uh, Green Hills, Montana, which is interesting is for, for the Sonic people out there. You get a little Green Hill Zone. I mean, it's action. the very first level in the first I mean, Sonic pretty, Hedgehog game. Yeah, it's pretty pretty flat. I mean, like a Super Mario World, like when they got teleported instead of going to Koopa, was it Koopa Stan or whatever? They went to one one. Yeah, that'd be awesome, actually. <laughs> um. There in, in, in Montana, he's sleeping in a cave, but he's spying on, on uh, I didn't write any of my Sonic stuff down. It doesn't matter. He's spying on James Marsden, um, Tom Wachowski, um, whose dream Mario is to live in San Francisco and to be a police officer that really helps people instead of just, you know, talking to Adam Pally all day. He's on got the... a real Steve McQueen dream. Yeah. Do you think so? Because he wants to be like Bullet. Sure. I don't think he's quite up to bullet standards, but that's fine. Um, Sonic, though, is lonely. And one day he's playing a baseball game by himself and he gets super fucking mad and he runs around the bases so fast that some electrical charge gets registered on some national electric charge-o-meter. Space Force. <laughs> yeah, Space Force is up there. I got something. Um, yeah, the government seems like it was probably run by the president, so there you go. Um, the only person they can call to solve this is the super brilliant guy, um, who may have staged some coup in Pakistan, which they don't really talk about, like, the geopolitical ramifications of, like, Robotnik's ascension in the US, inside the U.S. government, which I think is really weird. Um, once again, if it's under the current administration, maybe not. Maybe it's not. Um, Jim Carrey plays Dr. Robotnik, and it is super weird, but that does not mean it's unfunny and just kind of amusing, even though I've, I'm not 100% sure what tone they're going for. Um, overall? or Just, just overall with Jim Carrey's character. He's yeah. like mean, but like silly, and he's stupid, but like really smart, and he's obsessed with showing how much smarter he is than everybody, but the scenes in which he talks to people about how smart he is go on Forever. Um, Neil McDonough's in this movie. Which I always enjoy. Having for one McDonough. scene. And it's just to get yelled at by Jim Carrey. I mean, he's like a legitimate... He's not like an A-lister or a B-lister. He's a legitimate C-lister. He doesn't have to he do this movie. He was in the Sean Bean Hitcher movie. That's how big of a guy he is. <laughs> Sophia Bush was in that movie. He doesn't... Yeah. If, if you're doing Sean Bean movies... You don't have to be the guy that Jim Carrey yells at in the Sonic the Hedgehog movie. That's true. I love Walking Tall. That's a good one. Um, They go on the run, Sonic and Tom, because Sonic needs Tom to save his life. Because Tom shot Sonic in the leg with a tranquilizer dart right as Sonic was going to teleport to a land filled with all mushrooms or he would be safe. But then, then, as Sonic is falling down he reads tom's shirt that says san francisco it's really too tight and it says san francisco and he says san francisco and he 
drops the ring and a portal to San Francisco opens and his bag of rings falls through the portal. Oh, no. And it falls on top of a building, so they got to go to San Francisco to, to get them. To get a bag of rings. So they do. They get that bag of rings. And then Sonic, when he's trying to evade Dr. Robotnik, skips from between world to world. Oh, no, he doesn't. He skips from different continents in a, in, on Earth. Which is really Wait, not so very... Sonic is skipping or Robotnik is Sonic skipping? and Robotnik is following him. Oh, okay. So, because you said, you made it sound like they choose where they want to He can to. choose where he wants to skip to. So, I didn't know if, like, Robotnik No, but so he can choose to all power. these different worlds. But he just stays... But he chooses, he skips to Egypt, and then he skips to China, and then he skips back... And then he skips to, like, a big city, and then he skips... Back to Montana. You think he would skip to a place where he could breathe the atmosphere, but Robotnik couldn't? Or Robotnik was like, could not deal with the gravity and instantly died? These are questions that are best left to the sequel, which is 100% coming. Because, spoiler alert, at the end of this movie, Tails shows up. Um, In the post-credits sequence. Oh, they didn't tease Shadow? No. No, they didn't tease any of the gross ones either. What gross ones? Um... What's the... Uh, like the girlfriend? Like his human girlfriend from Sonic 2006? No, the, the bat one. I don't know that one. Oh, so there's a bat one. Um, that She's a bat, but she's got cleavage. Like massive amounts of cleavage all the time. It's really, really fucking weird. The 90s were a weird time. Yeah. Um, everything I just said is true and weird, and this movie is super, super weird. Dr. Robotnik's supposed to have all these vehicles. He has two vehicles. And one of them just turns into other vehicles on this really long car chase scene. And then he's got a plane which Sonic blows up by jumping on it a bunch of times, which I thought was kind of funny. Um, Can he do Does he do that? That's what he does. That's how you like beat him. You just like jump on him. Oh, okay. um, how'd the kids like it, though? That's, that's where I was going. It is um, not the best movie ever, but it's the perfect movie to just bring a bunch of kids to and just, you know, it's very old school. It's very old school 90s. Like, I don't have to care about this movie. Just put it on. Let it's got it... Air Bud sensibilities. It's, kind of, well, it's better than Air Bud. Because those movies are, I don't know, those dog movies are really, really It's got little giant up. sensibilities. Little giants is like the perfect one. Or like The Sandlot. Or maybe not The Sandlot. Say that has some sexual overtones in it, you know. Um, Does it? But like, yeah, like with the... James Earl Jones and <laughs> Dennis Leary? Yeah. No, with that one kid and like the lifeguard. Oh. I, don't know. I don't like The Sandlot. Spitz. Yeah. And, you know, he's got the life... He wants to... He's oh, checking out the right, lifeguard. I mean, right. it's not, like, heavy, but it's, you know... It's something else. Something extra. Okay. I that, like, barely remember Mighty Ducks that. doesn't have. Unless it's something between, like... You know. There's, like, a little romance with Joshua Jackson and... Uh, what's her name? The, the guy from the Hawks? No, Joshua Jackson. The oh, ragtag um, kid. Yeah, no, I don't... No, uh, I, mean, I guess it's not really... It doesn't special. matter. But yeah, this good. is like good. pretty clean and pretty clean, very clean. There's a long Jim Carrey dance sequence. Jim Carrey is totally in it for the paycheck, but he gives he gives you something. You know what I mean? He does some Jim Carrey stuff. It's another one. Actually, it's funny. A lot of the Jim Carrey scenes reminded me of um, some of the Al Pacino scenes in The Irishman, <laughs> where they just were like, "That's not where I thought you were going." Well, they were just like running the camera and just letting him riff, and they're just like, "Oh, that's good." All that is perfectly fine. Because if we don't leave all this in there, we have a 61-minute movie. So we need just Jim Carrey riffing for five minutes. So it kind of just felt, in a sense, that they did 
did not really script what Jim Carrey was doing and kind of just let him go. Yeah, I think so. I think they just kind of improvised it. That works with kids. Yeah, I mean, and I loved Ace Ventura and what nature yeah, strikes yeah, yeah. and calls um, as a kid. It's it's definitely not bad. I mean, I saw some review. I mean, the reviews have been pretty okay. I listened to like a podcast. Where he was like, oh, I just, I Armand hate Armand White said Jim Carrey was too ugly. Skin was too blotchy. <laughs> We're going to get there. We have to do a whole separate episode about that Armand White review of um, The Invisible Man. It's really, it's so good. <laughs> well, that's where he just confirms that he's just a troll. Because he had to go, he had to look hard for that in his inside his mind, yeah. that review. That did not just, like, come out to him. Oh, you know, I think she, think she should be prettier. I think I would just care more if she was prettier. <laughs> This is so me too, because her skin's blotchy. <laughs> uh, well, no, he was saying like we really cared about these old, you know, horror movie um, ingenues because they're pretty. Yeah, but he also kind of says like, oh, in modern sensibility, you can't make a woman pretty. Oh, Armand it's, it's White. A great, it's a great review. Um, but yeah, Sonic is fine. If you have kids and you're listening to this. Go see Sonic. <laughs> take him to see Sonic. Um, you know, because it's not like the worst time in the whole world. The trailers are were weird. The trailers were fairly... Compared to Doolittle, it's, it's, it's better. Which is so weird to say that the Sonic the Hedgehog movie is so much better than Doolittle. But you know what's weird is that like the Sonic redo... Um, looks worse in terms of integrating Sonic with like real life. Oh, it dude, almost like, has it has like a Who Framed Roger Rabbit quality to it. They didn't try to really make him look like he's part of that world. But which you know, is care. why they did the original design to make him right you, better. But which they got rid of, and now it just looks he just looks like a cartoon character. There's a couple of there's way too many scenes of James Marsden carrying Sonic's like unconscious body, and he's <laughs> clearly holding nothing. He's clearly holding like Sonic's just clipping through a green, a sack of green potatoes, <laughs> and that's and that's it. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's it's funny to actually think that. Or uh, another thing, which I don't guess I don't have to say, but it just it amused me. James Marsden's not really good at acting with nothing. Like James Marsden needs needs some one on one to go with. He's not really good at acting with just like a long piece of green felt that they superimpose a Sonic onto later. I feel like killed off his Cyclops, probably. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Because Femke Jansen wasn't really there. It was just... <laughs> yeah. it was just a CGI Femke yeah. Jansen. Um, so, yeah, it was awkward. All right. So we're going to transition now, I think, into the movie that most... You know, we wanted a seamless transition here, and I think yeah. we found the movie that best pairs with Sonic the Hedgehog, right? Oh, of course. They I think so. Sonic the Hedgehog, a giant... You know, existentially drained elephant that we never get to see. Of course, because that would not fit <laughs> all the part of the folks. Part of we are talking about uh, Hubo's film released in 2018 uh, at the um, Berlin Film Festival, I believe. Um, premiered here in 2019. Uh, was on my list, a bunch of spots uh, for the end of last year. It is an elephant sitting still. Yoshinari. 
我准备去那儿。你跟我去买牛奶吗？我不想和你去任何地方。嗯、um, ，I don't know. I don't, I don't know how complicated the, the plot gets. It doesn't necessarily get super complicated, but it's、no. four hours long. It's four hours.、Uh, it takes place most. It takes place all in one day. Um, so you have you do have a、Just、lot of a plot ins and outs. You don't get night at all, right? Well, I mean, it's a, you know from the beginning、Dawn、of one day、yeah. to the end of the,、um, of, of the day.、Um, so inherently, with a movie that long, you're going to have some ins and outs here.、Um, this film is shot with lots of long takes, lots of really long takes.、Um, part of me wanted to go back and, and like and count them, like you know, take some. Take some notes on how long these things are, and like compare them and find some you know numerical meaning in in the times that you know you the, there, the lengths of these shots. Do you think there would be? I don't know. It wouldn't put it past him, but、um, I don't, I don't know if it's necessary type、okay. of thing.、Um, if if someone was paying me to do that, I would totally do it. You know, what I mean, if I worked for the Ringer and they were just like you know write some bullshit essay about like a movie that you really like, I'd be like, yeah, numbers and now it's sitting still.、Um, This takes place in China. Do you have the name of the town where it takes、uh, place? Manzhuli. Well, that's where they're going. That's where the, the elephant is. The, the town they oh the town they take place.、Uh, no, they're in the. Where the hell are they? I do not have it. Okay, doesn't matter.、Um, when the movie opens,、um, there is a gentleman by the name of Yu Cheng, and he is sitting on a bed with a girl, and he is telling the story of. Not a story, but he's telling how his friend, whose wife he just slept with,、um, told him about this elephant who's in Manzuli who、um, just sits all day and it doesn't move. And people feed it and、um, they poke it with forks and、um, they laugh at it and they look at it,、um, but it just sits there, it never moves.、Um, Through the course of this movie, all four of our main characters,、uh, or three of our four main characters, will desire to go to Manzuli as the the solution to their problems that they're having. Their problems are, as best I can describe them, who、uh, Hui Bu、um, is a teenager. He goes to the the local high school. He has a friend who stole another kid's phone. And that other kid wants his his phone back, but the other kid claims he say, he says he didn't take it. And and Hui Bu is is defending his friend, and in the course of defending his friend, he pushes that other kid down the stairs, and that other kid ends up in the hospital. So Hui Bu flees. He can't go home because he just got thrown out of his home earlier this morning, earlier that morning for being smelly and for possibly stealing a gift card to buy cigarettes.、Um, but just his home life his home life sucks.、Um, There is a girl named Huang Ling, who is sleeping with the the I guess a dean or a principal of some kind at the at the local school.、Um, uh, Hui Bu is her friend. I guess he he harbors some kind of romantic feelings、um, for this girl.、Um, this girl's home life is as broken as Hui Bu's. Her mother is an alcoholic.、Um, she doesn't take any responsibility for anything, and she kind of. Lords over over her daughter, oh, while also simultaneously like not 
really giving a shit what she does. Those are my favorite kind of parents. I hope to be one of those one day. <laughs> like, like just a super control freak, but I don't care what you do. Make the first but if you do it wrong, I'm coming down on you. Um, then there's also um, there's an old man named Huang Jin. Um, his son... He lives with his son. He sleeps on the on the on the sun porch of their of their small apartment. His son wants to move to a better apartment so his daughter can go to a better school, but they're not going to have room for they're not going to have room for him, so they want to put him in a uh, an old folks home even though he clearly does not belong in a nursing home. Um, he does not want to go to this nursing home. He has a dog. Um, at some point in the movie, a, another dog who um, there's there's posters Posted all around the city, um, you know, looking for this dog, um, who we have seen who growls at um, Huang Ling uh, earlier in the movie, um, kills his dog, and he goes and he confronts those people. Um, but all of these events, Hui Bu discovers that Huang Ling is, is sleeping with the 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 principal. Um, he actually runs into Yu Cheng, who is actually the brother of the kid that he pushed down the stairs, who is you know been sent out to find him and, you know, exact some revenge. Um, the solution to all of these problems. And then, and, and Huang Jin gets involved in that as well. You know, there's a, there's a pool cue that comes into play here. Um, the solution is to go see this elephant. They're just going to go. They're just going to go. They're running away. Um, uh, Huang Jin ends up taking his granddaughter with her, him. So I'm assuming he's going to come back. He's not just, he's not taking her forever, but, the the answer the the thing the oracle that will give them the direction um for the next stage of their lives is this elephant um who i think serves as a really interesting metaphor for like where these these people see themselves in their lives you know what i mean they're just here they're just stuck here they can't move they can't do anything um, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of people die in this movie. Um, someone jumps out a window, someone gets pushed down the stairs, someone shoots themselves in the head. Um, um, who, uh, Hui Bu's friend at the end of the movie, who originally stole the, stole the kid's phone, um, kills himself after he shoots, um, Yu Cheng, um, and again, it's complicated, like, as to what the situation is, um, I've read a couple of reviews where they've talked about like cycles of violence and like repeating cycles of violence. I was like, I don't want to do a cycles of violence conversation here. I don't think that's what's happening. I don't think every day these people like, um, it's not like a, it's not like a real, life, it's not like a groundhog day situation where every day someone gets, someone gets stuck into this. And like the only solution is to shoot themselves in the head. I don't really think that's the case. I think it's more of a, um, a, pervasive unrelenting like depression of your like the facts around your life or regarding the facts like surrounding yeah, I your almost life. took it more to be um, a meditation kind of like an entropy yeah like yeah, yeah 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 you know just it being the, the, their lives and these like you know combined with those long takes and that gray scale that pervades um, the Wajing County, which is where it takes place. Um, you know, and those kind of like lingering 
languid kind of scenes of talking where you kind of progress the plot forward, but it's like situated around these deep spaces of empty air. Mm -hmm. Kind of just sends to me like just this continuing cycle, of course, but the cycle that's just going to kind of pace itself without a lot, any sort of inertia. Right, and it's one of these things though that where it's so <laughs> it's so pervasive that it becomes the entropy becomes like a living thing that seems to be kind of, you know, um, like swallowing you up. So you actually have a couple of people in this film, like say like this world is disgusting. You know what I mean? So it's not something that they're like unaware of. It's not something that's sneaking up on them. It's something that's actively happening to them that they, they have no way to fight against. And it's almost like, you wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily say a way to fight against it, but it's just an utter indifference to like fighting against it. Well, because what what would be the point of fighting against it? You know what I mean? I think that's where they all are, is that like they can, I suppose they could fight if they wanted to, but where is that going to get them? You know what I mean? They even, Weibu even prepares to fight. You know what I mean? His mm. friend brings a gun to school. He brings this um, club wrapped in tape that his, I guess his father, who I'm assuming worked for the government, used to interrogate people. Because he would beat them with it, it wouldn't leave any marks. You know what I mean? Like, these people are prepared to fight. The, um, the grandfather, Wang Jin, you know, he fights off those um, Yu Chen's thug, like, whatever. I don't know. What do you call mafia people that aren't, like, the lead mafia person, but, like, the other mafia Cap person? Cap not capos. Whatever. Consiglieris? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> his like you know his henchmen yeah. he fights them off with the the pool, the pool coup you know because they follow him back to his house um there is a sense of even even um huang ling when the when the the wife of the dean comes over to her apartment <laughs> to confront her you know what i mean she ends up like just beating the shit out of them with that metal bat that she had that she was going to use against a dog. Like, they are willing to fight. But, but even they, after you fight, they're just like, fuck. But their fighting isn't doing anything to change their situation. Their right, well, that's... global situation. But that's, the whole, that's what I'm saying. Like, the indifference kind of comes into this... But that's the point, because... To fight against... But they... Bigger... See, that's the thing. I don't think it's indifference, because they will fight, but fighting gets them nowhere. So the indifference is a product of the, of the knowledge that... Even if you take action against this entropy, you're still going to be stuck in this cycle of entropy. Um, I was kind of surprised when you said you wanted to talk about this movie. Um, what did you think of it? Like, what, like overall, like, what did you think? Um, it's going to take me many viewings, I think, to kind of fully digest it. Um, my, my initial reactions, I the screenplay really doesn't do anything for me in the sense of the, its direction and the way it's edited and, and the length and the breadth to the scenes is, is incredible. Mm -hmm. The way everything's blocked. Um, it has just this real naturalism to, to the performances all the way through. Uh, I think um, Zhang Hu kind of has just this kind of amazingly understated performance throughout it. But the, there's these moments that kind of punctuate it especially like in the latter half where people start kind of talking about like, you know, life being disgusting, that it felt like it's overstating what the image is doing. Mm -hmm. I don't need to hear that. Like, I don't need this kind of like diet, a small diatribe on just how they think mm -hmm. because the way the world looks around them, this covered grayscale, this, you know, not, not 
desecration or, or desolation of it. But, but you know, just it's kind of like downtrodden region. Um, that speaks volumes to how they feel about it. How, because they're not reacting in any way to fight against it. They're just existing within it. Well, and you spend so much time on their faces <laughs> that you can almost... You could there's see parts the where you can yeah. kind of let their faces do the job. You don't have to. I mean, I kind of started to read in... Um, to the dialogue after a while because yeah there's parts there's moments of it that are like really clunky and you're just like okay um but part of me was just like it's not worth like the idea that they're speaking at all like makes whatever they're saying like however you know intellectually like stimulated it is or how clever or how um like on the nose it is um makes it like somewhat valuable as not an expression of their emotion because you already know what their emotion is, but as a kind of like bleeding almost, you know what I mean? It's like a thing that's just got to come out. Like there's just a hole in them and this is just what comes well, out of it. And I think to an extent like it's like where it doesn't kind of like become self-aware and try to like guide you to where it's, it is like mm-hmm. in terms of like how the characters are thinking. But instead when the characters are just communicating about like I'm noticed, like I would particularly say the, the scene between Weibu and, and the girl. Mm hmm. Uh, when they're kind of, he just says, "If I can see you later." Early on in the film, uh, they're kind of just standing on the porch, the yeah, yeah, porch, yeah, and just, I mean, it's moving everything forward. But the way that that flows kind of carries a certain cadence that kind of provides like an underlying heartbeat for the film. Well, the ca- um, an underlying yeah. sense of like how the film is, like what level of thought. It, the film's operating on like the emotional sense the film's operating on mm-hmm. so it has this really kind of like understated lyricism to it um but like i said the problem is, is like there's these moments that kind of overextend that where it kind of feels as though like this film's length feels as though it's kind of trying to make a bigger statement on that and kind of like the ceaselessness to it uh-huh. um but it, it it does lose me at parts where mm. it was kind of like this real experimental kind of like art piece is just, you know, just, I kind of just tone out. It's and, funny because I find myself not picking and realizing I didn't watch 20 minutes of it. I'm not even doing it. I'm staring at it. Yeah. yeah. But I just have spaced and out. See, it's so funny because I had like literally the opposite reaction, like to the surprise of myself. And even when I was watching it again. And you watched this like all in one sitting or? Yeah. The first time I, no, the first time I watched it in <coughs> two sittings. Um, but all in the same day. I don't know if that like was important. Like I started during mm. in the like during the day, I watched like two hours of it, and then I watched like another two hours of it at night. So it was almost like it kind of carried, like I carried it with me all day, and I was waiting to see what would happen because I didn't intend to. I just I watch movies. I watch a piece of movie when I eat lunch every day because I don't have any. There's you know uh, I don't have anything to do, so I'll just I'll. You know, watch people's movie. I generally watch like forty-five minutes of a movie. I watched two hours of this movie because I just kind of couldn't stop watching it. And at the end of every incredibly long scene, I really just kind of wanted to see what like the next scene was going to be. Like, where is this going to go? Not in a, like a thriller or like an overly dramatic way, but their lives seem to be unfolding. And I don't mean unraveling because they're too young for them to unravel, but like the layers, I don't know. There's, I'm sure there's a theory and you can probably even point to it too, where people are born complete. You know what I mean? Like it's like a destiny thing, like a faded quality to it Mm. where 
And then as you live, the nature kind of, of like that... determinism almost? Maybe, yeah, maybe. And the nature of that fate becomes clearer and clearer and clearer like the longer you live. You know what I mean? So it's almost kind of like, you know, and I don't mean this to... I really didn't think of this beforehand, and I don't mean this to be a kind of like... Um, like a expression or like a, like a pun expression. Um, but like a, you know, if you have a really complicated origami and you just kind of like keep unfolding it and you're just like, what the hell? Like there's just like all these little folds and like, it's really complicated. It was kind of like that. You know what I mean? Where it's just every scene, something else, some other aspect of this person's life, even if it's totally minor, even if it's almost, even if it's non-existent, you know what I mean? Even if, like Huibu and Huangling meeting up at the park and, you know, not really accomplishing anything and him just saying, like, come with me to Manzuli and she just came saying she's not going to come with him to Manzuli because ultimately he's going to go or maybe he's going to go or he's not going to go and she's not going to go or she maybe is going to go. Like, you just don't know. But the fact that he asked her to do it is just another it's like another fold opening here. You know what I mean? Um, the fact that she said no is another fold opening. And then the fact that when he sees her at the restaurant later um, with the Dean, um, and I keep saying the Dean, I don't know if it's a Dean. I don't know if that's a title, um, the principal. And like, you know, Huibu puts that note on the door. It's like, I know what you, you know, I forget what it said exactly. Um, it's just like a, a life revealing its complexity. Like one, like moment at a time one fragment of a moment at a time and i got real i got like hypnotized by it and i um it happened again this time too where i was just kind of like the time just kind of got away from me um and that's and that's due to a lot of stuff i mean i think he got lucky with these four people that he can just put a camera in their face like primarily just in their face or like walking close behind them um it's actually really funny like the people that have championed this movie so it's like gus van zandt and Bellatar, and like Gus Van Zandt. Bell- who's Bellatar? Bellatar is this Hungarian director. He made the Turin Horse, and he made that oh, okay. seven and a half hours uh, Satan Tango. Um, I don't know that one. Turin Horse. I've heard of Turin Horse. Yeah, um, but he's really like he's uses these incredibly long shots, like just and not like you know. So we'll talk about we'll have a oneer conversation as like the culture has adopted this term oneer. Was that Which a term? Where that driving fucking crazy? I don't know, but they say thing? all the they say on all the ringer stuff. It's like, oh, it's a wonder. They do a, this wonder. Probably like, a vulture. Oh, stop fucking saying wonder. I hate it. Um, but he'll make these. Inc- like he'll do these. Take. Yeah, he just or single take or whatever. He'll do these incredibly long shots. Um, and there's always something happening in it, and different from the movie that we're going to talk about now because it's not like there's a bunch of stuff happening in the background. But each the composition kind of shifts as the. As the nature, as the shot goes on, you know what I mean. Um, so there's a shot in um, Saint Tango where, like, this girl has this dead cat and she walks through the forest like she's carrying this dead cat, and the movie's in black and white. Um, but it's not, it's not a. Um, she's like following, and they're following in front of her, and then they're following on the side of her. This movie kind of doesn't do that. This movie hues to like a, a really strict elephant kind of point of view where they're like just you know just behind the head or like just over the shoulder a little bit but everyone's kind of framed in the center um and that that in and of itself has its own kind of meaning in that like all these people are like the center of their own universe and that's why i love the end like shot so much because it's like the first time we get them 
not like in the center of the frame. You know what I mean? There's like a bunch of people and they're all in the dark and it's really kind of hard to tell who is who. Um, and like for a second, you know, they belong to like this larger universe and not just, you know, they're not just living inside their own heads. They're not just like communicating just with each other. Um, there, I mean, and right before that you have that great shot, um, of them just kind of standing in the parking lot with like all the headlights on and they're all like, they're all there, but there's nobody else there, but they're kind of far away. It's almost like they're drifting apart a little bit. Like they came together for that brief moment in the station. Um, you know, when he gives him his coat because it's going to be cold. Um, and then they're, and then they're just, and then they're, and then they're just kind of drifting and drifting, and drifting. And then they become part of, they become part of, um, the larger story of, 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 China or their community or, or whatever. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just, I, I found it really moving again. It's, this is a tough year for me, like in terms of like ranking this because, you know, you just have these other things going on, but I think it, um, you know, it's definitely worth a watch. Uh, you know, if you have to pick a four hour movie to watch, I would say, watch this over the Irishman. Oh, for sure. I, like I think that's my issue. Like my biggest issue with this is all the technical aspects of this come together. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's there's a lack of like that unfolding. I, I I see and and understand, but there's still just like this lack of somewhat tightness. I want and that, I don't tightness is the bad bad word. I wouldn't for say it. that it's a bad word. I will want... not ask this to be made into a two no, and a half no, hour no. long movie. But just like there's a certain bits of it where. I don't know. Like I, I kind of come almost come into that flow you you're in, kind of like wanting to see how the next turn unfolds and just kind of see their face, mostly just their faces, yeah, to the yeah. scenes around it, um, and how like the lyricism and the tone of it kind of goes. But then there's just like these moments that just maybe linger slightly too long, or something lines of dialogue are just a little too much that you that loses me mm-hmm. and it's hard to really that's why i want to come back like this is something i'm going to come back to several times mm-hmm. i just can't see where it just loses me yeah i mean it's i want i think everyone should consider the fact that like i i have um a tremendous amount of affection for this movie like to the point where i can i'm totally willing to say that like i could be an apologist for it you know what i mean um i mean it seems like most people are pretty big fans um, I actually haven't read, I mean, besides Richard, and I haven't even read Richard Brody's review of it. I just heard him talk about it and I saw, um, he put it on his Oscars, like the Brody's list, um, of things that like people should see. Um, our good friend Richard Brody. Um, but I just, it's, it's hard to talk about something objectively when like you love it. Um, and you can justify just about anything that is happening in a movie like because it's you just think it's great um but yeah i mean it's on criterion now and it's i mean there's no more hubo movies this is it i'm actually surprised they haven't translated any of his novels yet um but maybe this didn't make enough money or didn't make enough of a dent internationally for like another like a publisher to kind of pick him up and, and and translate them yeah, because you said there's like been no interest whatsoever. It in doesn't that. seem like it. I feel like there would have been some news somewhere. Because this was a adaptation of one of those novels. Of a st- like, oh, yeah, so like I guess a story that was in within a novel or something like that. So, um, but yeah, 
maybe maybe Criterion will finance it. I mean, they've, I, I, they're not. They didn't release a DVD, which I'm surprised. They have the streaming rights, but um, I'm surprised they haven't put together. Or maybe they're working on it now, putting together just like a massive, uh, you know, couple disc box of of stuff. Yeah, I can also imagine that being kind of hard to get material for, given it's like origin. Yeah, in China and whatnot. So. I don't know. That's worth a watch. It's definitely worth a watch. It's on the Criterion Channel. Yeah, it's a reason to get the. Criterion Channel. It's the one reason. I don't think there's anything <laughs> The only else. reason. There's nothing else very good on there. <laughs> um, all right. So we will be... Who's going first? I guess I'll go first. Oh, okay. We'll be right back with Mario's 31. Struggled for a while to come up with the appropriate intro for my number 31. Um... And the reason why is when I first saw this film in theaters at its release, I was blown away and, and awestruck by its technical grace, um, its you know focus uh, being what was closest to like an English American production I had seen um, using kind of heavy amounts of that handheld camera in a not sort of action film um, in, a, in a film that was wow action had, you know, those moments of serious drama uh, uh-huh. mixed with the oneers throughout <laughs> the film. Um, <laughs> that is a terrible term. Keep your fucking oneers. Mixed with incredible long takes. and But as I kind of sat there and, and was just kind of blown away by that, over the years I've kind of come back to this one mm-hmm. quite often. And I don't know why. I don't think it's necessarily the deepest sort of thematic film a lot of it's on the surface level um but there's a nice sort of duality that's there uh it's kind of kind of something people come back to for this film often and that's the foreground versus the background storytelling Mm -hmm. um happening in this movie and you know i I was kind of drawn to that but at the same time it, it made me kind of come to this really odd conclusion about this film um not necessarily in its overarching message of, you know, hope and religion and the, the fall of the world and how people will react to that, but more in one tangible element that I think drew me, like, from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, and being, like, the commodification of art. Uh, yep. And I'm speaking of the 2006 science fiction film, Afonso Cuaron's Children of Men. I can't really remember when I last had any hope, and I certainly can't remember when anyone else did either. Because really, since women stopped being able to have babies, what's left to hope for? The world was stunned today by the death of Diego Ricardo, the youngest person on the planet. The youngest person on Earth was 18 years, 4 months, 20 days, 16 hours and 8 minutes old. The ultimate mystery, why are women infertile? Some say it's genetic experiments, pollution. Why do you think we can't make babies anymore? Doesn't matter. It's all over in 50 years. It's too late. Move along! Move along! Hello, Theo. How have you been? In 2027, the world is saddened by the death 
of baby Diego. Why are they sad about this 18-year-old's death? Because he's the last baby to have been born on planet Earth. And in the responding 18 years, the world has kind of fallen into a tremendous amount of despair. Most of the world governments have collapsed. And uh, one of the few nations left with a functioning government is now an yeah, autocratic <laughs> uh, United Kingdom, where Theo lives. Theo was once kind of this major activist, political activist in the uh, yeah. yeah, the years following. I'm assuming there was some kind of there was some kind of I mean, nuclear had... war. There's some kind of something, and somebody did something. Yeah, there's definitely there's definitely a nuclear war because you see the papers in the background saying from the nuclear explosions mm-hmm. like in Kazakhstan and whatnot. Um, he, but he's a former activist who has kind of turned into a bureaucrat. Um, after being kind of estranged from his wife after their son, uh, son's death. Oh, their son, Dylan. Um, so this child has died. And there's, you know, he kind of goes about his days until he is kidnapped by the fishes, uh, who has, um, you know, who's led by his ex-wife. And they inform him that they need to get paper, need his help to get papers to bring this refugee, um, you know, out of the country. Uh, because this refugee, as it turns out, Key, is the first woman pregnant with child in 18 years. And they're trying to get her to the, uh, the Tomorrow, uh, which is run by this ship, which is run by the Human Project, which wants to study... Um, you know, infertility and try to find a, a solution to it in mm-hmm. what, the Andor- Anzores, um, the islands off of Portugal. Uh, Theo reluctantly comes along, gets the papers. Uh, Julian is eventually killed. Um, and through various circumstances, uh, including one great long take, uh, as they get to um, the refugee camp on Dexel on the sea, um, Theo is shot. He, but he gets the child, uh, who has been bored now, mm-hmm. halfway through the film, and the the mother onto a boat to go towards the tomorrow. Um, he bleeds out and dies, but hears that the child's name uh, will before he dies will be Dylan, named after his uh, deceased son. Mm-hmm. I was at the end of that movie. I wanted when she told him. I wanted him to be like, "Cool." Yeah, he seems like the exact thing he would say. He yeah, seems like that kind of guy. Like, that's, awesome. That's stupid. <laughs> that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. As a matter of fact, I think, I, I think I'm going to survive this bullet wound uh, just so I can spend the rest of my life making fun of you for such a terrible decision. <laughs> when I first saw this film, was kind of a big year in film for me, uh, as we'll talk about some of the films. Um, that came well. We've talked about talked about one of them so far, several of them so far. Um, but 2006 was kind of this year where I <coughs> not not came into no, but I was I was as I said before, 2005, 2006, 2004, 2005, 2006 were the years I really came into focus. Yep. In you know, <clears throat> lot like really heavily watching film. Mm-hmm. And a movie that was going to really kind of utterly blow me away and destroy me was a few weeks on the horizon at this point. Um, because I was living in Reno, Nevada. Children of Men got a decently big 
sized release. And uh, did it? Know? Yeah, it did. Didn't it? Children of Men. Children of Men. I don't think it was released wide, but it was at least wide enough. Progressed up quickly. Whereas this other movie got a very, very limited release. I actually almost watched that movie illegally. The movie that would then Pan's Labyrinth. Oh. Talk about Pan's Labyrinth. I don't know why I'm being so secretive about it. Why they, you didn't you didn't get it? <laughs> it took like late January really? for us to get it. Yeah. Oh man, we got so lucky here by having the like, the worst movie theater in the world, but be the hugest art house cinema. My first experience actually with Pan's Labyrinth is watching it on my computer. <gasps> yeah. I was bummed out by that. Whatever the Spanish is for travesty. But then I watched it in the theater twice, so okay. made up for it. Good. Um, so I wasn't really, you know, so so this film initially kind of just blew me away from, in terms of its technical achievements. Uh, you know, Emmanuel Lubieski's kind of just amazingly solid um, cinematography throughout the film. Um the, the tightness and editing that we've kind of come to know Alfonso Cuaron for being fairly good at. Uh-huh. Maybe not so much in Roma, but, you know, Gravity is at least a decently well-edited film. It moves at a very nice clip. Um, you know, and, and a solid, solid set of performances. They're doing their things, job. One of the things that convinced me for a while that Clive Owen was the next great star. But I think a lot of people were kind of tricked by this. I think they did. I think they were. Yeah. And they're thinking he was the next great star. I think there was a. Wasn't there a 007 push for him before Daniel Craig? Yeah, I do think so. Like a like a gruff workman 007. I mean, I, it, was, it wasn't because of this movie, though. No, no, no. It was before this, I think. Maybe the movie I talk about next week might have. The movie I talk about next week might have actually been the one to do it. Uh, maybe. Maybe. Well, I mean, do you think so? I wouldn't be too surprised. No. I mean, Layer Kick got Daniel Craig, James Bond. I forget what the conversation was. But don't you remember that they're talking about Daniel? Like, um, Clive Owen was one of the guys. Yeah, no, I know that. Um, and so this, this kind of just shot up to like the top of my list that year. However, I kind of came back to it after a while, after seeing kind of the films that would come out later in two, not later in 2006, that were, that eventually make their way to me in 2006. Mm-hmm. And then just, you know, the amazingness that was the year of 2007. This movie kind of, Slipped away from me for a while. Mm-hmm. I've come, started coming back to it around 2013 because I was always drawn back to it, but I wasn't necessarily really, couldn't really understand why. Hmm. And as I watched it again, I watched it like several times in 2013 because I think we talked about this at the bookstore one time and you said you didn't really see Children of Men being that big of a deal. No, I mean, it's, we'll talk about it. Yeah, but you said like it wasn't that big of a deal. I was like, I think he might be right. And I sat there and watched it, but I, as I was watching it, I was just drawn to something. Um, and that being kind of, as I said most of the time, you know, this, this real focus on the background. Um, has, you know, Cleo, I mean, Theo kind of goes through his story. He's, we focus on that. They occasionally resettle to the sides of the background to see the refugees um, yeah. locked in cages, as it were. Or when Miriam, yeah, <laughs> when Miriam is like hooded, like when they get to Bexel. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like it's not like the focus of the shot, but you get to see but we the kind see of it. we see it. Or, you know, or like when that mother is kind of like La Pieta style, holding the child, mm. and it, they're a bleeding child, and the camera turns and 
like leaves Theo and just focuses on her for a second. Mm. Um, you know, I noticed, I noticed that, but I was, and I knew I was drawn to that and I didn't know why. And it wasn't until I, I started looking at it more and kind of like reading about it. It took reading about this movie to kind of know what drew me to mm-hmm. it. And it's this constant undercurrent of art, scenes of art being shown or, or, or presented. Um, like I mentioned, when the mother's holding the child, it's it's very much like you know Michelangelo's La Pieta, which is mentioned by Nigel yeah, when he yeah, talks yeah. about trying to get La Pieta. Mm-hmm. Um or even, and the same kind of images repeated in Guernica, um, Guernica, 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 uh, Picasso. It's kind of the one off the side of holding I the child. Love Guernica, <laughs> really? I'm not a Picasso guy. I'm not um, a Picasso guy either, but I I think Guernica's amazing. That's not saying anything. Like I, I you know, I'm not breaking new ground here, but I I find Guernica to be a really intense viewing experience in books because I've never <laughs> seen it in real life. And. I kept looking at that, and I thought, kind of back to the scene, um, the the opening scene where he's, you know, the things in the background are don't matter compared to like Baby Diego. Uh-huh. You know, they talk about the siege of Seattle, and they talk about, you know, the closing of the borders, and you know, you have that long take as he leaves the cafe, and then a cafe explodes, killing basically all those people he probably just was in that cafe with. Yep, and then kind of life continues to go on for him in a board clip. Mm-hmm. People talk about baby Diego again. They're all watching it on their screens when he gets to work. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I kind of go back to is as I watch it, and the thing I, that drew me to it is, is the background civilization that's kind of developed and not necessarily the, not necessarily the, um, the refugee aspect of it. Cause that's a little blunt. I think one of my biggest problems with this, this film overall is it's like a little too on the nose, maybe not as uh, on the nose as, um, PD James book was. Cause whew, I tried, I tried that, to read I tried it for to. this and I was like, no, it thanks. Bad. It no, just like thanks. really as a Christian, Really heavy, like Christian overtones. Oh, I didn't even get that far. I just like read the opening, and I was like, "I'm not doing any of this." Yeah, I got. I kept. I kept trying it several times. I didn't try it for this podcast yeah. because I've been busy reading good stuff, um, or kind other of stuff. stuff. Other yeah. stuff. Um, but I tried way in the past. It's just, it's a slog. Well, I think she only wrote a couple books that are like this. Everything else she wrote is like English mysteries. She's oh, a really? mystery writer. I didn't. I didn't study anything into yeah. it. Yeah. Um, so it's not necessarily that kind of forward, the foreground themes, but it's this background current. There's, there's that image where you first see Key where she's kind of like holding herself in a way that's kind of like um, uh, the Venus, uh, the, what is that, the Breath of Venus, the, mm. the um, like, no, Buddha, I have it over here, actually. The, the Botticelli um Oh, sure, 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 painting. sure. And then, like I said, kind of like Pieta, like when the mother's holding the baby. Um, or even, I actually looked this up, I was watching videos on this, and these things I just didn't notice, um, the floating pig kind of being the representative Pink... of uh, Pink Floyd's... Yeah, 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 animals. I never knew that. Yeah. I never noticed that. And so, like, there's these things we no longer focus on. Instead, the world is kind of focused on baby Diego... And on, you know, the commodification of the art. Like, Nigel's just obsessed with with grabbing 
art has, you know, just, just, you know, he... It's a really weird, (coughs) but, like, effective Danny Houston performance, Mm. where he seems... Danny Houston's always good when he gets, like, one scene. Yeah, and he seems, like, ruined. Yeah. Like, and not... Like, the things that he's doing are, like, sucking the life out of him or something like that. You know what I mean? And he just seems really vacant and... But evil, but not, like, evil because he's too, like gone to be evil it's just he's just like the ultimate bureaucrat at that yeah point. he's like a really weird expression of like where this where civilization as a whole is going you know what i mean and he's just like you can't why do you even have all this stuff like you can't take it with you it's all going to be gone um he reminds what he the character he actually reminds me of is um o'brien like i mean it's a very simple one but it's like a from you know 1984 just o'brien mm. he just kind of feels like that where he's committed he's not really committed he's necessarily like o'brien so Brian's committed I to it. I've like, for a long time. He kind of he feels more like a party member who's just there. He's just yeah, like, yeah, yeah. He's just he's, he's like the Susan Collins of this oh, government. Oh my god, they were Lisa Murkowski. I I was watching um, the John Oliver, which I normally don't watch, but they had Susan Collins. They showed a clip of Susan Collins talking about like how she thinks Donald Trump has learned his lesson. Yeah. Um, and I was it made me so mad. I was just like, oh, this this fucking lady. Let's get this fucking lady out of here. Going back to the we point, like, like you see, the world you kind of like turn back to at times um, <clears throat> has those kind of like art. The images you see are kind of these these moments of like art, these moments of of, of art being reflected, but they're just buried. Mm-hmm. And it's one of these films that that I, I think I connect to because it's. It, Despite everything you're seeing on the screen, um, you know, the refugees, the, the constant violence, it was this lack of appreciation of art that struck me. In the world or in, for, the, for the film or your own? No, no. Uh, for my own, like, my own beliefs, like, my own, the, what drew me to it uh-huh. was the film's kind of message of, of the lack of, of appreciation of art, that the, the art is hmm. gone. And also that like the images that kind of reflect art are, are moments that hmm. kind of, um, no matter how tra- like how tragic or how, you know, like, like when she sees art, even like not boring or, or typical, like seeing key, mm-hmm. you know, amongst the cows, um, they're forgotten. And, and, and that's what strikes me about this. And it kind of, makes me go back to Quiron is is there's always he does these really and excluding gravity from this because that's garbage um he does these really like high level high not high level but very obvious not subtle at all themes but then he always has this this focus on this undercurrent of underlying those themes in really subtle mm-hmm. and interesting ways you know Beyond just telling you the degradation of the world exists because of these this background shot of turning and showing you a refugee in crisis, or mm-hmm. you know, the, focusing the camera on the desolation and you know the the fact that people are clinging towards um, youth products to kind of stay forever young mm. in this world that's you know gone and fertile. It's this underlying thing of just like here's this kind of like representation of 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 classical art. Are are this kind of like throwaway li- like throwaway line that like Jasper does where he kind of quotes T. S. Eliot's Wasteland. It's just kind of like yeah, a throwaway, yeah, yeah. 
you know, or how he's become <clears throat> a pot dealer, you know, leaving behind like his history as a as a really clever political cartoonist. You mm. know, just this it's kind of like in in the vast spree of things, like what's going on in the world, that's that's so unimportant, it doesn't matter. But there's this intention to like pointing that out. Well, here's be- and it gives it this. I, I think uh, it makes me develop a new appreciation for. That's why I kind of put this here, is because it's one of those few films for me that's so basic and, and so surface level on what it's doing, but has this dedication to presenting that very surface level tension, that mm-hmm. very surface level kind of problem in the world, in very subtle and unique ways to kind of like get. That may be separate parts of the audience. I don't know, but it yeah. just um, connects I, with me. There's two things here. One of them is <laughs> sometimes I don't even bother trying to figure out like why a movie is on like your list because it just it's not like super important to me. Like, what? Why is this here? And why is this not here? It's also not like super interesting because we've talked about most of the movies that are on our list, so it's not like they're mysteries. You know what I mean? It's not like you're like putting something on your list. I'm just like, what the? Where did this come from? He oh, likes a, this movie. There's a few. Yes, I love you. There's a few. Well, there's a few movies that. Uh, well, I mean, just like I've talked about those movies. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. It's not just like you know. There's here's this weird Gerard Butler movie that I just really, really like. Um, uh, it wasn't P.S. I Love You. It was going to be the uh, the one with Catherine Heigl. <laughs> oh yeah, what the hell is that movie? Oh, I can't remember. Oh it was like yeah, a cursing. Reporter. I remember it now. Yeah. Um, but I kind of I thought I had a pretty good understanding of why this was going to be on your list because you have so many action movies on your list and I've only ever really looked at Children of Men as like a really good action movie or like my kind of action I see movie. It, I see it as an action movie as well. Right. So I was like, well, that's, I was like, that, that that's interesting because like he keeps, he always goes back to action, but this, this is like an anomaly action movie where it's like, it's an action movie. It's a classic action movie. There's lots of action in it, but it's also an action movie made by Alfonso Cuaron and filmed by Emmanuel Lubezki who, you know, so it's not going to be just like a regular action movie. Um, but everything you just said, like really, it, I can I can go back a little bit to an elephant sitting still in terms of. I wonder if what he's saying is that there are eternal things, and like we can be infertile, you know what I mean, and we can, um, really pull at the fabric of like human rights and, and human life, um. We could kill people and, 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 and torture people and humiliate people and, and do all this other stuff to them. But there are aspects of life that are reflected in art that we just think are pictures, but that are representative of like a real thing. They're, they're eternal. So, you know, you said you mentioned um, the birth of Venus before, you know, and, and that and I didn't think of that in, until you mentioned it. And then I just looked at it and I was like, well, that's exactly what she's doing. And it's not a, it's not a shell and angels. It's cows. You know what I mean? Mm. It's what it is. And she's, um, and she's an African refugee and she's, you know, got, she's got black skin and the Botticelli, the Venus has, has white skin. And there's all these different things, but the, the nature of, of the movement, the thing that makes that art, like significant is not just like the fact that it exists. It's like all these other stuff, like things you can read into it. He's kind of like playing with that idea. There are, there are things lost like in this movie that he might be saying like, we don't have, like we never had to give up on any of these things. You know what I mean? 
but we just decided no one can have babies anymore or there's this war. So we gave up on everything. And so now art is not, art has no meaning. And if art has no meaning, what does that say about, like I go back to like the Harold Bloom and like the Shakespeare and the invention of the human thing. If art has no meaning, then like, can we, can we have any meaning either? You know what I mean? If art reflects our meaning, does our meaning reflect art's meaning? Does it kind of go both ways? You know, to quote the move that we're going to talk about next, you know how you always hurt the ones you love all that that works both ways. Like, does that also work both ways? Like, is he trying to say that like, we're giving up on things that we don't have to give up on? Is that like inherent in like PD James's seemingly terrible novel um, that he took this from? Um, Is that not in the movie at all? And we're just kind of like reading too much into it, but I like it. I like it a lot. Like now that I'm watching it too, um, like having watched it, like looking for things besides just kind of being like, that was cool. Um, yeah, this movie has a lot of. Yeah, this movie has. I mean, the whole movie is like awesome. Yeah, everything Which they is why do I is responded like, to yeah. it the first time. Like, but I think that I think I think you're right. I think there is there's this undergirding of of other stuff. You know, what I mean, I think one of the reasons that Roma wasn't successful for me is that like I don't think that other stuff <coughs> is as interesting as like what's. I like I this movie more than I like Roma. I think with Roma, as I've rewatched Roma, I think with Roma it's less. It is. Stuff I don't fully understand, maybe, or maybe. fully. It's either one of two things. Either culturally, I fully don't understand it just because I'm not familiar with the culture. Or secondly, it's so personal to Quaron that it's there, but he just kind of didn't successfully kind of connect it to a more global message. Whereas Children of the Men has this more kind of like global theme. Mm-hmm. I, I've read some reviews that kind of have the belief that like it was about commodification of Hollywood in a lot of ways, like over neo-capitalism in Hollywood and like the loss of kind of like individual perspective. Um, I don't think he cares about that. But I don't think that is he all. He made a Harry Potter movie. I don't think movie. that is at all what's happening there. Um, but he's able to more hit those global themes of kind of like the loss and the desecration of what this world's become. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there, there could be arguments made that it's, it's, it's a global indictment of kind of where we were at the time in like 2006 in terms of, you know, kind of the realization of how we're screwing over the world no, we did in the good. Middle East. We did good for eight years after that, right? <laughs> yeah. And now we're fine. Yeah. Now everything's uh, fine. Um, you know, you get, but a commodification of, of the Middle East in the war and the, the point being made there, I don't know, it's, I don't think that's what's happening, but like the point of, you know, unstringent kind of free capitalism kind of undercutting everything else. Uh, I could get like a global point there, but it doesn't really matter. He's, he's able to make a point because it's a more global being. Whereas I find Roma to either be very specific to the cultural region of like Mexico city or, or to, you know, the ident- it's an overall identity or it's too personal Aquaron and thus it feels, feels very, you know, crusty very surface level roma does yeah yeah well i just think i i just think he had a bunch of images in his head and he didn't connect them to a message or he didn't connect them to any like a metaphor or anything i do think i think there's a a message in roma i think there's a metaphor in roma i just don't pick up on him 
Well, I'm sure there is, but I'm it. just thinking of like the 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 first the image that pops in my head when I think about Roma is the guy in the I think it's a bear costume, right? Who you know he takes the mask off, one like the the, the fire, the guy fire, singing. and starts singing. Um, that's the first one. That or the the uh, riot. The riot too, the well, because the riot. I mean, the riot is is obvious because it's just this movie, <coughs> but in Roma. No. Um, but I think about that one, and I think about the idea that I'm not sure what that's what that's attached to. You know what I mean? I think it's attached to, I think it's attached to itself, and I think a lot of the scenes in Roma are attached to themselves, not necessarily attached to anything else that's happened in the movie, um, or it, or to anything else that like anybody besides him could understand. You know what I mean? So it's attached to his own memory, which I think we talked about this time when we talked about the movie. It would have been cool if they, if at one point they pulled back. Would have been really awesome in the movie if they just pulled back at one point to the point where we can see like a head, like like a mystery science theater three thousand type thing that's just like watching it, because then it would have. I we talked about this too. I would have felt then the presence of him, and I wouldn't have had to try to. I wouldn't have had to worry about connecting what was happening in Roma to anything else anything at all you know what i mean or any like to themes in the movie or to images in the movie or to try to find metaphors or symbolism um in any of the images that i was seeing or any of like the dialogue or whatever um because it would have just it would have come it would have just all sprung from here it would have sprung from one guy's memory and then you're just appreciating it on a sensual level and then you're just trying to connect the dots of how does point a and point z like how does point A and everything that happens influence like point C? You yeah, know what no, I, mean? I think I think that's something that like like I always I think my biggest criticism on Roma it's kind of like a it feels not I don't want to say a poor man's but it feels like a, an attempt at a Nariche kind of like Spirit of the Beehive uh-huh. and a real miss in yeah in terms of like getting that kind of sen- not necessarily sensuality but this this ability to kind of capture it being a bit of a memory you know it doesn't feel like true memory because it doesn't have that tactileness to it right it, i mean it, it feels too not ethereal but it feels too faded and it feels too f- fantasy like in, in roma whereas yeah, yeah, yeah. spirit of the beehive has this mix of of tactileness this mix of, of reality that's been kind of shaped by the magic the magical sort of reality around it to that is that is that kind of like well so here's of all right so here's another thing Roma kind of feels a little more uh, like just and so let's tie this dictated. back to children of men so what you were talking about art before and we were just talking about like tactile things I think one of the interesting things of children of men if we look at it in this perspective is I think Quaron is kind of if we if we think the art thing is real I think he's what do you think it is I think he's saying that we've chosen the wrong innate human qualities or characteristics. Um, we, or we've chosen not, we've chosen the wrong innate, but we've chosen the wrong human characteristic that we, that is innate. You know what I mean? Mm. So war is innate and war in this civilization as in our civilization, regardless of how many people die is portrait is an idea you know what i mean it's the idea of war it's the um it's the uh the dollars that it represents you know what i mean it's all this kind of metaphysical stuff that has no real real and, basis in reality and nationalism is another sure kind of exactly like they're ideas they're ideas but 
he's saying that there's all these things around us that we've decided to kind of we've just we've decided to eschew them like beauty is it's interesting that he shows the david first because it's literally it's like a piece of stone you know what i mean and it's no longer the david and it's not because it's missing piece of its leg it's because it's been rooted out of its context and that's not because it's in a museum because it doesn't mean anything anymore you know what i mean it's literally just it's a picture in a book that now is in his living room you know what i mean guernica is um an expression of 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 horror that is now uh, an accent piece in a dining room where his son is playing some kind of weird like game thing and has to take a pill or or whatever um and so the realness of you can keys like birth of venus like pose is almost like a mirror to that you know what i mean we've we've lost sight of the things that really matter and we're like these like they've decided that war matters and subjugation matters and um i wouldn't even say power because how much power do they have you know what i mean they keep saying like britain's like the only functioning government but it's clearly not functioning great yeah you know what i mean they're, they're not doing a great job um yeah, it's really it's and that's I think why Children of Men is is here is because it's like way more interesting than just like your regular like movie full of wonders. You know what I mean? It's way more interesting than 1917. I look at a movie that came out that same year, Atonement, with its long oh take God. with like everyone's beloved Dunkirk long take, and that's just you don't re, you, nobody remembers that really anymore. People talk about it still, but nobody really, nobody has this kind of Wait, emotional. I hate to break it to everyone. That scene looks like shit. No, it does. Because it's half, it feels like two thirds CGI. Yeah. But you don't have an emotional attachment to it in any way whatsoever. No, no, no. It serves absolutely no purpose that, you know, Children of Men, even with shorter takes and maybe what would be less technically impressive takes, I disagree with, but somebody could argue that. Uh huh. Um, still have this ability to kind of connect to this really emotional film. Mm -hmm. Emotional in the sense of uh, of just because it is so subtextual. Yeah. Uh, Underneath it's very obvious layers. Yeah. It's almost that in a way you connect to it without realizing where you're connecting to it because he's able to kind of do those things that kind of bite at you. Mm -hmm. Which is why Roma's frustrating because I can't, yeah, I just wanted to bite me. To I wanted to yeah. bite me, and it's just never—it never wants to bite me. Which is, which is, yeah, because you know, like even something like YouTube Mama Told Me End, which I shouldn't at all connect with me, does, and I don't know why, but I know it's there, mm-hmm. and Roma just doesn't. Yeah, well, they're different movies. It was different. I mean, even Children of Men and Roma, even though they look the same in a lot of ways, I mean, they don't look the same, but they function in the in, in a lot of the same ways. Um, it's just it's missing that visceral quality to it. Um, Should have never taken those seven years off. It's true. Or just not never made Gravity. He won a Best Director Oscar, so I'm sure he doesn't regret it. Yeah, that's true. Okay, so anything else on Children of Men? No, I like Children. It was I was happy. Which is funny because happy to get to which watch. Which is interesting because you, but initially you were kind of like lukewarm on it. I, I remember like talking back in the books. I just don't care. Pretty... I mean, and I still kind of don't care. I still don't see it as anything other than like a really 
like well-made action movie. Mm. And the most interesting kind of action movie. As someone who doesn't really respond to traditional action movies, um, you know, there, there's a there's a funny. Plus, they star Tom Berenger. Well, that's but that's just Tom Berenger. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's not the action. It's just who's doing the action, and how compelling it is to watch a guy who looks like his back is gonna just explode. Every time he tries to kick somebody, um, there's a really funny Fast and the Furious joke in Sonic the Hedgehog, um, and I thought that was like I like that Sonic joke better than I like any of the Fast and the Furious movies. I like the joke he made better than all the movies. He's like, it's all about the family, Tom. Um, but yeah, Children of Men. Children of Men. We'll be right back with Tom's number thirty-one. Welcome back. All right, my I don't, I, my intro, if I did an intro, would say the name of the movie in the intro. So part of me thinks that I want to just like get it out of the way so I don't have to say it because I'm going to say it like a million times. I don't really know how to talk about it without saying the name of the movie. Um, my number 31 is David Fincher's 1999 film Fight Club. I want you to hit me as hard as you can. Why? How much can you know about yourself if you've never been in a fight? Wait. Let me start earlier. Like many of you, I was stuck. You want me to deprioritize my current reports yeah. until you advise of a status upgrade? Make these your primary action items. I couldn't sleep. No, you can't die from insomnia. I'd flip through catalogs and wonder, what kind of dining set defines me as a person? This is your life, and it's ending one minute at a time. Welcome! I prayed for a different life. Soap. I make and I sell soap. And this is how I met Tyler Durden. Come on, hit me before I lose my nerve. Okay. Ow! You hit me in the ear! Did you ever punch anyone in the ear? No. You ever I been was... punched in the ear? No. Uh, I've been, like, boxed in the ear. Yeah. I don't know why I actually had to box my headset when I did it. Um, no, I always had this belief, this weird thought uh, when I was a kid, that if I ever got punched in the air or boxed in the air, an air bubble would come and it'd cause an aneurysm. Yeah. Did you ever hear that one? No, but I've always been afraid of cauliflower ear. Like what the wrestlers get. Like Ric Flair. Does he have it? He has, he has bad cauliflower Oh, is it? It's just like big, lumpy, like yeah. elephant man ears? That's tough. It's got to be tough. Look in the mirror every day and see that those ears. Not when you're styling and profiling. Yeah. <laughs> you think his woos are just Jet like weeping? No, he's probably just <laughs> drunk. Yeah, oh, probably, yeah. If I had cauliflower ears, I'd be drunk all the time, too. Um, I like how we started this with a digression. Uh, before uh, Fight Club Mario, it's a really interesting conversation, because before Fight Club, there was there was nothing. There was a, just a kid. There was a 17-year-old kid who was, like, desperate to be defined as, like, something specific, and who had worked kind of unconsciously his whole life up to that point to just be the guy that was known like for something so like in grade school I was this I remember this and maybe if any of my old classmates are, are listening they can help confirm this um, I was like laugh a lot I was just like the laughing kid like I just was a clown I guess I don't think I was very funny I just like thought you were everything was funny at things that Made sense to laugh at, or well, just, I just I feel I remember I have you were Joaquin Phoenixing it. I have yeah, I think it was Joaquin Phoenixing it. I have like 
real memories, and I don't have a lot of memories of when I was a kid. I have real memories of having like laughing fits that I'm pretty sure were fake. Because I just liked the idea. Wanted to be a part of like the group. I just, or not even part of the group. I wanted to stand out from the group. Oh, okay. So then, in like, and then later in high school, I got really into the idea that I was like the Adidas guy. Like I just wore all Adidas, and I was convinced that I was like the first person to wear those Stan Smith Adidas shoes that everyone would always wear all the time. Um, like stupid shit. Just. Just dumb shit. Just dumb kid stuff that, you know, I didn't stand out for lots of other reasons. You know what I mean? I was in band. I had a girlfriend. Um, but I wasn't, I was the third best drummer in in my high school band. You know what I mean? Like, everybody had a girlfriend. Um, I, you know, I drank, I got drunk, one, I got really drunk once. I drank two forties of old English um, in a, in next to a pit like in the woods and then one other time like I had a couple of rolling rocks on a golf course you know what I mean like I wasn't I wasn't that guy there was a kid that was an alcoholic by the time we were in seniors in high schools he was fucking pissing in the corner of the room because he was the alcoholic guy like like in class in class yeah he was just drunk all the time he had a lot of problems um but that guy had a thing. You know what I mean? People had things. I wasn't the weirdo. I wasn't the loser. I weirdly straddled like several different social groups because I was in band. But then I also had like all my nerd friends. But I was also fairly innocuous enough to everybody else that like the jocks as they were were just kind of like, hey, Nolan's cool. You know what I mean? Maybe that was because my brother played sports. Were they really but... segmented at your high school? Not necessarily. We actually were pretty. We were like pretty collective in our ambivalence um, of high school and of life in general. So like pep rallies when I was like a senior in high school were not like super fun because just people didn't go to them. Like the senior, my senior class was not represented well in pep, at pep rallies. They would just go home. Um, because we just didn't give a shit about anything. You know what I mean? We were just kind of that class. I had to put those on. What? Put the pep rallies on? Yeah, we didn't have to do any of that stuff. Um, I mean, I was in band, so I had to play at them. But I, So I, if I got to play drums at it, I would go. Because I got to, I got to hit some drums. But I, was, I wanted to just, you know... I'm sure you can kind of concur with this. You know what I mean? Maybe, maybe you can, maybe you can't. But I'm sure you understand the idea. That, like, as a kid, you just want to be something. You know what I mean? You don't want to just be nobody. You want to be somebody. You know what I mean? Um, And then I saw Fight Club. And I was like, holy fucking shit. Um, And I became the Fight Club guy. Like, for a while. And that was... Like you ran a Fight Club? No, that'd be... That would be awesome. <laughs> that's, what, that's the way you sounded. No, I was just the guy that I saw Fight Club, and then I read all the available Chuck Palahniuk books. So there was three available when Fight Club came out. There was Fight Club, Invisible Monsters, and Survivor were all were all out. And I just knew everything about him. I knew Fight Club, the book and the movie, like inside and out. I could quote it at length. Um, I could... I was thinking about the other I was thinking about them all the time I even wrote a book like my first novel was written on like loose leaf sheets of 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 legal pads that I would keep in a manila folder and it was about this guy who had this voice in his head you know it was very fight club it was you remember did you ever read fight club 
So we'll go and get into it. Fight Club is kind of it's famously, um, and James Frey would kind of take this to its its natural end and limit in in a million little pieces, where it's just like lots of one line paragraphs, um, just in a row. It's like you know just rapid fire um, lines of fairly pungent dialogue and or thoughts and things like that. Um, kind of collagey. Um, my first novel when I, that I wrote when I was in high school was was written like that. You know what I mean? It was it was about that. And then my second one was not written like that, but it was um, it was just about like like a Project Mayhem scenario. But it was like teenagers. You know what I mean? So cool. Teenagers would shoot other teenagers in the heads in churches. That was a, that was the opening of the scene. Kind of like the opening of the scene in Fight Club, where there's like one guy with a gun in his mouth and another guy holding the gun up to his mouth. Um, but that wasn't really about. It wasn't about the Fight Club necessarily, and it wasn't about. You know, I listen to a lot of Chuck Palahniuk things now, kind of getting ready for this podcast. He, you know, he did a Brett Easton Ellis um, episode, which was really funny because he kind of yells at Brett Easton Ellis in the episode. Um, because Brady Snellis keeps trying to like trap him into talking about like how stupid people that hate Trump are, and and Chuck Palahniuk's like, you know why I'm doing this podcast? And Brady Snellis is like, no, why? And he's like, I'm doing this podcast to sell books. He's like, I'm not doing it to be part of your like political head game. I don't care about, about that, that stuff. Yeah, that's what he that's what he says <laughs> at the end of the podcast. Um, and then I listen to the weirdo Joe like two-and-a-half-hour Joe Rogan podcast that he did and all this other stuff. And they talk a lot about masculinity. I didn't have any, I didn't have any problems with my masculinity in high school. Did you have problems with your masculinity in high school? Nope. You know what I mean? Did you feel, like, unmale somehow? Is I this... It never crossed my mind. Me neither. So my... I was a backyard wrestler. Yeah, I did that too. Not for my masculinity. It's just... The, the, that's where my thought process was. No, because it was just fun. Yeah. Didn't... I liked backflipping off of stuff. Yeah, I just... Like I... Picking people up. I just like hanging out at my house with like next to two guys that were just like fighting each other on a trampoline. Yeah, my masculinity was, I guess, defined by no mercy 64 tournaments. I did not care <laughs> about my masculinity. Right. And so maybe this is like a gen, maybe we missed this. You know what I mean? Maybe this is like a Generation X thing. When they talk about in, in the book and in the movie, like we're a generation raised by women, and like I wonder if another woman is really the thing we need. That shit never occurred to me. Is it because my parents stayed together? Or is it because like I had healthy relationships with girls my whole life? I have no idea. But that aspect of Fight Club could go, you know, I could give two shits about that stuff. The thing that really got to me, which is really very interesting because it ties into the – it, like, is a refutation of the idea that I was really seeking identity, which I was, was that because of this – and we're going to see this as a kind of trend through, like, the next ten or so movies. Um, this movie ultimately became a movie about and, – and books um, became about shedding things. So – the idea that, like, you're not your khakis, you know, this is all stuff for the movie. You're not your, you know, your furniture. You're not, you know, if you're eventually you're the things you own end up owning you, all that other stuff. The anti-materialism. The aspect. anti-materialism stuff. I didn't really think of it in terms of materialism, although I don't like stuff. I'm a, I'm famously a purger. I don't know why I say famously, only because I tell everyone that I'm a purger. I just get rid of things. I, I mean, don't you're care. a podcast celebrity, so now you're I am famously. A, I am a podcast celebrity. There are 14 people every week who are like, oh, yeah, he's a guy. Um, <laughs> I mean, I'm the same way. I like look around here in, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. in the pivotal film towers. I've got it's very sparse. We've got we've got two bookcases on our in, in our living room. 
I get, I have three shelves on them. Once the three shelves are full, you got to get rid of stuff. You know what I mean? There's nothing else. There's nothing else you can do. Oh, even with your books? Yeah, with everything. Oh, and I, everything. so I pare everything down to like my most. I try to keep everything my most essential thing. I only have 15 DVDs, and it's 15 of my top 16 movies. Like those are the only DVDs I own. Okay, I guess I, I have a decent amount of DVDs and a lot of board games. Right, but you, I mean, you don't have an insane amount of them. You just you have more than me. But only because I, I just I I want and like CDs too and records too. Like I really keep that stuff. I really I really keep that stuff right now. I used to have like these massive collections of things. And even after Fight Club, that's why I'm saying it's not about materialism. It was never about materialism. It was about shedding the need to identify myself as anything other than myself. So, Fight Club kind of threw that idea into the ring. And it was, it's weird to think about because, like I said, for a while I was like the Fight Club guy. Like, all I wanted to talk about was Fight Club. If anyone said that they, like, knew something about Fight Club, I was like, Psh, you don't know anything about Fight Club. Let me tell you some stuff about Fight Club. And I would normally go, like, Fight Club sucks. Like, you should read Survivor, which I still think is, like, Chuck Palahniuk's best book. Um, or in- Invisible Monsters, which is a crazy book. But it's also very good. Um, so that's how I identify myself. But, like, as it set up the process by which I would stop worrying about, like, identifying myself as. So, like, we do this podcast. You know what I mean? I, I would never say that I'm a podcaster. Like I would, I you know we are we are amateurs. You know what I mean. We do this for fun. We do this because we like it. We might we might not be amateurs anymore technically. Maybe like just by the number of sheer number of episodes. Yeah, maybe if you put ninety two episodes up or something. Or I don't know what what the number is, but um, there's you're not an amateur. hundreds of hours. There's almost a thousand hours of us. Yeah, it's weird. Um, I don't say that I'm a writer. You know what I mean? Even though I like I write all the time. Um, I'm j- because those are like you say you're a librarian. I do not say I'm a librarian. I'm, I just wanted to make a mummy reference. I'm an anti-librarian. Um, maybe I'm not. Maybe I'm just like a new librarian where like books are not the just thing. not a Rachel Wise librarian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> we should do a special mummy. 1999 could be a year. Oh, that's true. That's true. Um. I'm just like myself. If, I'm, if anything, I'm I'm a dad and a husband before I am, like, a specific kind of person, like an expert on something or something that I can say, um, something that I can use to define me as a person. One of the things I used to have a problem with, like, these friends that I'm not really friends with anymore. Actually, I don't even know like where they are. There's I'm definitely not friends with them anymore. But they would use like bands to like establish their credentials as like a person they're like i listen to this band which makes me this kind of person you actually get a lot of that stuff on um uh, like social media now and and a lot of like culture like websites like vulture or like paste or like the ringer you know what i mean hard on vulture today take that vulture take it um or vox or buzzfeed or pitchfork or any of those other things you know what i mean where it's Look at this! Look at this thing that I know all about. I'm I'm the kind of person who knows all about this thing, um, and I kind of because of Fight Club, I kind of stopped. I kind of stopped doing that. Um, you know, I, it's 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 weird. I it, it's not, almost not almost not worth it, 
kind of going through the movie. Did what did you think of Fight Club when you saw it? Because so you talked about two thousand six. 2004, 2005, 2006, like 2007 being like big movie years for you. 1999 and 2000 were like my versions of that. Where that was when my focus, I got like a surgical focus on film. From like 99 to 2001, it was just like, holy shit, like films are real. You know what I mean? Like, this is a real thing. These are just not fun anymore. Like, these are, these are, I can learn something about myself from watching movies. Um, but I'm assuming you're not like a Fight Club guy. I, I remember I was very excited to see this, um, but I was gonna wait for like video, obviously. Mm-hmm. So I, I got it on video. I was so 13 when I saw it, and I was like, "Oh, that's well put together." That, mm-hmm. that was like a fun experience. Yeah, yeah. And that was all I got from it. And upon rewatching it, I've watched it twice since. I actually, oh, I think I own it. For some uh, reason. The good one, like with the like the paper, the faux paper cover. Yeah. I got, got it because I thought like I had to have it, but I definitely didn't check to see if I had it. Today, I would have made everything a lot easier than what I ended up doing. Um, the printing out the script and getting some I friends active. I was a big like seven guy. And all sure, that. yeah, like, yeah. I, I think we're both. Yeah, we're both. I loved Alien Three. Um, I just ended up going like, "Oh, this looks great. It's fun. It's well acted." And then moved right along. Yeah, but don't you kind of wish... I kind of wish now that I could go back... I wish I remembered what I thought when I was watching it. Because I went back to watch it for this. And I was like, it's good. But it doesn't... Like, by the end of the movie, I was like, I just want this movie to end. Do you know what? Actually, I, I do... I remember how I felt when I saw it. I wanted the narrator to stop whining. Yeah. When I watched it, like, that was my initial opinion of it. And, like... I want all these people to stop complaining. Well, that's I kept. And that's how I got that, like from the yeah. day one. Like that's how I respond to this movie. When I like, just God, watched it, I was like, annoying. every time Edward Norton talked, I was like, oh, I, okay. Like I forgot he just said a random thing there, and now I have to try to attach it to like whatever this means. Like whatever the like because a lot of times it doesn't match up. It's just a line from the from the book, and they've just like inserted it here. Um, yeah, there's a reason you know, Jim Olsen does. I am does. Jack's raging bile duct. Like, what does that mean? Like, what is a raging bile duct? You know what I mean? Yeah. What's interesting is I think it's not so much identity for me, but but something I connected to kind of like becoming the guy mm-hmm. um, was was American Psycho for me. Oh, really? Year, next year. You know, the, the uh, what's Stacey Harmon? Not Stacey, what's the hell's her name? Mary um, Harmon. Mary Harmon. American Psycho was, and like then I had to read American Psycho, and you know I had to start getting reading Brady Sinellis, and that was that was my that was my thing. Was American well, Psycho, and all that. Which I don't know what that says, but so you have that I'm just a okay yuppie. Um, but I felt the no. Same. I just don't know if it says I'm more of a yuppie than like a anti-materialist or <laughs> no, because. Uh, uh, American Psycho is an anti-materialist book also. I mean, in American Psycho, we kind of talked about it a little bit last week when we talked about um, Pulp Fiction. The same thing happened to me. Like, I saw I saw Fight Club, and I read the Chuck Palahniuk books, and then I just had to expand my knowledge base of, um, of, of, of literature, but, like, also of the stuff that kind of spoke in that in – in the fight the, – the, spoke the words that Fight Club was speaking. So that included the Don DeLillo books. That included White Noise and Mao too. That included, you know, that definitely didn't include Faulkner. I'm not 100% sure how I got to The Sound and the Fury, but I just remember buying the gold Faulkner edition of Sound and the Fury with like the the 
purple and red kind of sky in the background and stuff like that. Um, and then, but that also got me to American Psycho was like came from the same place. You know what I mean? Like you you read this thing, so then you have to read like this other thing, and it, because they're connected thematically. Um, but American Psycho I, I thought was cool, and Survivor and Invisible Monsters and uh, Fight Club seemed necessary. They seemed really necessary. So it's weird. That, the only reason this movie's at thirty one is be actually because this movie just points me to kind of to Chuck Palahniuk, which opened my mind up in a like a, a greater way than Fight Club ended up like opening. Fight Club laid some seeds that would blossom into like the tree of self knowledge that I would and kind it, of get. I mean, that's what it was for me because like it did the same thing to me. We're like Fight Club, read Fight Club, and I, was, I, mean, I saw Fight Club, I should say, and it didn't nail me on the certain level. Like, I felt like it was a really kind of it felt very surface level or, or kind of like a mishandling of, of the story. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then I tried to read Fight Club and I couldn't get into it. And yeah. I tried to read Survivor and I couldn't get into it. Um, never tried Invisible Monsters. The only Palinuk I ever read that I liked was Haunted. Hmm, interesting. I, and it's funny. I mean, I, I, you know, I wrote. I, maybe because Haunted is just short stories. Like maybe because Palinuk kind of like there's something about his like minimalist style of writing that like when it gets to a certain point and he's still talking, he's still focusing on one story. Mm-hmm. I just lose focus. Yeah, and, it's and, um, I, I kind of end it. I end my obsession with Chuck Palahniuk with um, Lullaby, which is the novel that came out after Choke. Because I thought Choke, I remember buying Choke in, I went to B. Dalton in the mall, which I where I would end up working like three years later. Um, or no, I'd end up working there like a year later. Um, four or three years. And I went there before the store opened. Like I was so... I was so into my Chuck Palahniuk way of existence that I was like, I'm gonna wait, I'm gonna wait in line for this book, and there was no line, Mario. It was just a guy who we will refer to as Chris <laughs> standing in the door, like, wait, just hey, what's up? Um, probably with an extra large black coffee. He probably walked by me from coming out and like having two cigarettes in the span of a minute probably with a black a coffee in his hand <laughs> no because this is 10 in the morning opening the door and being totally not ready for me to like buy a book i had this i had the same thing happen to me when i went to buy thomas pynchon's against the day where i thought i was going to be like in a in a stampede of people waiting to buy this book and it was just me and i was just like pick the top one off the stack and i was just like i don't have to fight anybody they just bring this it's up to the counter. A couple get the fuck out of here. Um, but yeah, that's, I mean, Fight Club is is really the start of um, me being like a self aware person. I mean, so I love the Dust Brothers soundtrack at the time. I think it's pretty dated um, in a way that I, I'm not sure. Actually, it's funny because I was listening to I was listening to Moby today because it was on a mix CD that I made um, from you know the the Moby play. The, you know, the, the, and all that stuff sounds dated too. Well, what's interesting to me about this, like coming back to this after we talked about seven, um, I don't know how many episodes ago that was now, like 20 or 20 so episode, episodes ago. And like, I see like, like a lot of his filmography around that time is da- seven's like the one that doesn't feel dated. Right. From around that time. Like I rewatched the game a couple months ago and that's severely dated. Oh, I haven't Panic watched the game room. in a long time. Is dated. Panic Room is super dated. Um, Zodiac isn't isn't dated. I would say Zodiac kind no, of. No, Zodiac is a great movie. Yeah, 
But Zodiac and Seven aren't dated, and this does feel of its time. Yes, it is. It is. It is a weird, like the things that I think they thought were really shocking in 1999 are not even kind of. Well, that's shocking. that's the uh, the thing that best movie year ever kind of talks about. Kind yeah, of, like it. Who's that book? The Bill Rafferty's. Book. Yeah, um, talks about kind of like it being kind of like this attack on the dogma of film and the dogma of of what was the world at the time and that kind of like realignment of thought and being like the forebearer of that with like yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's just was it it's like I, think, I don't know i think films like from that time like american beauty but, or whatnot kind of do that a little but here's the thing and last a little more you know what the best part about watching movies then at that age was, <laughs> is that like i didn't think about that stuff i wasn't worried about like upsetting hollywood dogma you know what i mean it was i was looking i was only looking for coolness i was only looking to spend an awesome two hours in the movie theater and if i got anything else it was like a bonus and i don't think i was getting other stuff in real time until fight club fight club was the first time that i sat down and watched the movie and as the movie was going i was feeling changed and i don't know maybe it's maybe it's because like I was doing my own movie awards garbage from like 1998 on. Mm-hmm. That it felt like when I saw this, I was like, hmm. And like giving it a real kind of like stern look into. Mm. So that, that like, even from like a film perspective. I didn't worry about the film stuff. That's, I mean, it's the no, beauty, that's the I guess. Is that like I, I didn't care? It, when I saw it initially, I, from that perspective, I was like, judgmental about it. Yeah. The more I could get Brad Pitt talking and yelling at me and telling me that like, I was terrible and everything like I believed in was shit or that, that I didn't stuff. I didn't even believe in, but stuff I could relate to other things that I did believe in like organized religion. Like I gave up on church roughly around that time. You know what I mean? And it wasn't because of fight club, but I think fight club kind of, like I said, opening that door to self-knowledge, maybe like, I don't really believe in any of this stuff. Um, So then I could have my own conversations with myself. I didn't make any decisions philosophically based on fight club but fight club allowed me to be like hey you guess what there's things in your head that you can think about like the things that you kind of take for granted every day like you could think about those things and and make your own decisions based off of those for me watching fight club was literally limited to that exact thing where's it where's it how's that get you there though like I don't, I, I don't really understand how get you. Well, I was seventeen. I, I was seventeen when I saw it. You know what I mean? So like you were, I was ready to have those convers like those conversations with myself. I just kind of like avoided having them. You know what I mean? Because I didn't have to, because my life was about going to the pilot and eating as much Wendy's as humanly possible. It's you know interesting because I mean? like there's nothing, like on my list, I guess that it, like is similar to that. We're different people. Like at that seventeen, I guess I guess Doctor Strange Love is kind of pretty close to. I, mean, I guess it's it's similar. Well, to like so the when, Stark Strange but Love you were a seven, you were a film person. I was not no. a, like a film person. I was a music person more than anything else. Um, but I was also, um, I liked art. Like I knew I liked all sorts of art. I liked it. Like it moved me somehow. You know what I mean? Like I had I had experiences with Goya. When I was like in eighth grade, like we went to, there was like a massive Goya retrospective of the Met, and we went for my Spanish class field trip, and it was just it fucking kicked my ass. Like all the war sketches, everything, like tons of stuff, like just paintings, like all the big paintings, all the big, all the big etchings, all that stuff, 
and it was just I think everyone should have a Goya moment I think I really think they should and if they're not gonna have a Goya moment have like a different kind of moment you know what I mean no it has to be I think it has to be Goya. okay um, but you just have I had I've had those I, I had those moments periodically leading up to Fight Club and I think I think Fight Club was a kind of culmination of those things it was the first Maybe and this might not be true, but let's just assume it's true for the moment. It was the first obvious outlay of a. I hear it also. Yeah, it's been on for a while. I just want to make sure. I want to make sure it's not mine. Just yeah, me too. All right, so no one broke into our cars. That's good. Or they, if they did, the car alarm just stopped going off. Because because um, the car is now down State Street. I, so the I mean I guess we can wrap it up whenever we want. The last thing I'll say is that I um. This. It was the obvious statement of like a philosophical idea, I think, where I didn't have to hunt for it. It wasn't buried in something else. I didn't have to do a bunch of reading to kind of get there. Um, I wasn't a thinker. I wasn't a person who thought about myself in that context. And then and when I saw this movie, I was like, well, I can think about myself in a context. I am a, I'm, I'm my own person. You know what I mean? And for a while, I still defined myself by um, this movie based on the idea that it was the movie that kind of showed me I could be my own person, or the work of art, I'll say, that showed me I could be my own person if I wanted to. So, um, was this? Did you see the movie that's in later, later on your list in the same time? The one that is on your first page, a few items down, from also 1999. Was this? Was that? Mm. Hmm. Twenty-five. I was thinking of of yeah, twenty-five and ten both work. Ten I saw later. Okay, but ten is artistic. Um, and twenty-five is is um, probably artistic as well. But it's art. It's an emotional. It's like an emotional thing, more so than anything else. Those are really interesting because it's. I think ten ties. 31 and 25 kind of together and where like the the philosophy and the art like turn into this kind of burning sun of like a movie so because i didn't see that in theaters um i saw it to uh the next year when i got its amazing dvd release and i was working at the record store and um those new line dvds came out so you got the seven got your boogie nights you got this one i forget what the other one was there were two discs and they weighed like they seemed like they weighed 50 pounds yeah, yeah. you know what i mean and you were i was just like oh my what the i have to i have to like own all, this because they're all tri-star films i remember just that no they're all new line cinema new line right? yeah because they all did those double discs yeah that um, um but so you're 25 you saw around the same time so yeah. are those kind of like a is like a combination of movies that kind of maybe did this for you honestly it was going to be like if you kind of track this thing if you track from like here up it's all it's it's kind of all tied together they're all movies that i i i think of in kind of not the same way but they definitely all inf- seeing one influence the seeing of another one you know what i mean and then we kind of get to when we get to number one, it's because number one is doing literally all of them. Mm. Like, and we're going to disagree about number one and the culture will disagree with me about, <laughs> about my number one. Um, but it's, it's, it, it ends 
like there. You know what I mean? This where this self-awareness being self-aware translated into being aware of like a self beyond the self. You shouldn't be upset about having where the Millers at number one, Tom. <laughs> Why? I'm pretty bummed about it. <laughs> Cops and Robertsons is number two. But so one question, because I want to mention this. Have we ever talked about this? About your opinion? Like 1999 is that year where you're kind of like finding, you're finding like identity and whatnot or trying to like look for identity and, well, if you've, you know, starting from and, here, if you look at my list, there's a lot of 99 and 2001s here. But I want to ask this, since since a lot of people like think we're doing the same thing that year with you, with movies and whatnot, like, like the groups were just kind of like, people were just trying to find their identities and maybe they uh-huh. did that with film. They did it with something. And I want to ask this as somebody who's just a little bit younger, so missed this completely. Uh-huh. The Matrix. I could give two shits. Well, about I know you could give two shits about it, but how was... Like I knew everyone around yeah, you. Yeah, I knew it. people that were Matrix people. Like the Matrix was the, de- the defining moment of their existence. Um, I had a very good friend who the Matrix was his entire life, and we went to see the two other ones together. I think I've told the story before, and we were both just like, "That didn't happen." Like, what was that? And for me, it was just like that was stupid. But for him, he was just like, "Fuck!" Like, I just, I just fucking. <laughs> I just wasted like years of my existence thinking about the Matrix to get to here. You think he's like started it back up with to Matrix get to the, Four coming back to get to the Merovingian? <laughs> uh, Jesus. Um, yeah, I think it was, but I think those movies because I think Fight Club, like Fight Club, and this film for Met Boys were the two big ones. In I terms guess. of identity, like but in that year. I, 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 that's, that's what I was being told. Like yeah, that's what being but told it's, in the it, media. and that's what you're being told now is that that's all about that. But I, but like even I remember even back then as like a kid, like having to see both of those and walking out both of them, going like one I was like, Meh. like Matrix I was like really like that's not that good at all, and walking out of Fight Club I was like that was a good similarity to Seven, which I already loved yeah i mean it's weird because i think seven is a better movie but seven means less to me and you saw you would see seven before this or after this i'm trying to remember i saw seven before this okay so i was aware of fincher as a person and what his movies probably because i was wondering if maybe i just didn't respond to this at all because I the aesthetic was a close relationship well that's maybe that's the other thing not close but the aesthetic wasn't all that interesting to me because i'd seen and i didn't i remember thinking that like the special effects looked stupid at the time like an unnecessary like him going into stuff um and i like one of the reasons i like like seven is i think is a better movie is that obviously he couldn't do this stuff in 1995 because probably if he could have he would have um and I don't want to think about things going into things in Seven and like all the different ways he could have exploited that stupid. Leland also, Leland would have much harder. He would have had a much harder life. Um, but yeah, because he couldn't, so he didn't. So he kept everything on the surface, and everything was much scarier. Like the violence in this, you know, maybe this makes me a bad person. I could give two shits about the violence, like the hard packing sounds of like. I was reading the uh, a review of this from. Um, Roger Ebert who gave it I think two and a half stars and he just kind of 
you know, made fun of it for being like a macho whatever. And he's just like, oh, their fists never, like the bones in their fists never break. They're all made of steel and they just like punch sofa cushions with like with baseball bats or something like that. You know, it's like it's just the sound of that like over and over and over again. I was like, I guess I didn't even care. A baseball bat wrapped in tape. Sure. I am. Um, well, I mean, in the Scott Walker documentary, when he talks about making the movie The Drift, he actually has a guy in a recording studio in like this beautiful, pristine recording studio. He has this guy bringing a side of beef and he just takes a bat and he just records this guy just like wailing on this side of beef to get this flat packing sound in the song that he made about Mussolini's execution, um, which is a pretty good song. Um, not necessarily a song, but it's Scott Walker. It's good. 30th century boy. It's a good one. A 30th century man, 30th century boy, I don't remember. Um, the violence is stuff I didn't care about. I t- watching this again, I have this distinct recollection of after he burns him with the lie, I kind of didn't give a shit anymore about what happened. Because that was the last like really interesting speech that he gave. You know what I mean? That mm. seemed like it had any kind of meaning outside of like, we're, we just got to get through the material in this book. Like, I think the last hour of that movie is pretty, pretty boring. Yeah, I remember as a kid telling my mom, like, I wish this was 30 minutes shorter. Yeah. I mean, all the, all the fight stuff at the end is, you know, where he fights the ghost, you know, when you just, so you see him on the security camera, just like struggling against nothing. And, you know, Brad Pitt's shaved his head and all that other stuff. I'm just like, I don't fucking care about no, this. No, yeah, I Like, agree. it's enough. It's enough of this. Um, but yeah, I mean. It's I, interesting how, like, just the world at time time seems segmented into, like, the Fight Club people and the, uh. Matrix people. But then, like, how many months later, two months later, we got, like, American Beauty, and that was something totally different. That was all aesthetics. Like, I was, I, like, the the politics of American Beauty, I could give two shits about. Because I wasn't a 40-year-old guy. You know what I mean? I wasn't struggling with anything. I wasn't even, I wasn't even any kind of version anywhere between Wes Bentley or Thora Birch. You know what I mean? So, like, my two proxies in that movie, I was just kind of like, I don't get these people either. It was for me. It was just about like I've been reading like a bunch of, st- of books. This is like reading a book, but in a movie. Yeah. In that, so that's it's it's weird how these things just kind of flip flop. Like and those, but like the politics of both of those movies are kind of the same. You know what I mean? Where like oh, you know these you've been told this matters and this doesn't matter, but that didn't matter to me. In American Beauty, it mattered a lot in in Fight Club. Maybe Fight Club was cooler, but no, American Beauty was pretty cool back then. It's not cool anymore. I mean, it's not cool anymore. Matt Benning and Chris Cooper, just Thor again, and listen to, Zavara, listen to the ringers. Wes Bentley, even though he's even though he hasn't done anything awful, is just not cool. Well, but by didn't definition. I mean, we're going to talk about this. We're going to talk about this two times, real quick. Aesthetically or emotionally, did you just feel yourself trying to find that bag cool? We were just like, oh, I so wish I thought this bag was cool. No. Or did you think the bag was cool? No, I didn't think anything. I just was like, oh, I like the score. I like the uh, Conrad yeah, Hall. Yeah, exactly. Like Conrad Hall. Who's the, uh, the, Newman, the yeah. Newman score behind it? I was a, a part of me was just like, oh, my God, I wish I could find this bag cool. And I was like, I just don't find this bag interesting. No, with American Beauty, the moments I drift off, I just listen to Newman. Oh, it's, I love that fucking score, man. We'll talk about it. We will talk <laughs> about it. A lot of it. Um, all right, that's it. Fight Club. Yeah. If you want to talk about Fight Club, you can join us on the uh, internet's biggest Fight Club, <laughs> Twitter, at Film Pivotal. Um, it, or, really, it really is, especially this year. 
I don't know. We, neither of us have checked our phones to see who won this debate tonight. Oh, yeah, I recorded it. <laughs> it just, I'm not going to watch it. The I don't know why I recorded it. The New York Times dot com headline is just like Tom Steyer metaphorically dead. <laughs> Everyone just won all in on Tom Steyer. Uh, yeah, they were just like, oh, we're going to ignore Bernie. We're just going to beat up on Tom Steyer. He's surging. Um, yeah, go to Pivotal Film uh, Podcast at gmail.com to send us. Uh, your thoughts on Tom Steyer or Fight Club or anything, or you can go to pivotalfilm.com and see a list of the movies that we talked about um, the, on our lists, or uh, the how to subscribe, or how to. Um, I don't know, it doesn't matter. Uh, or you can call 475 777 2450 to tell us what your pivotal film is. Um, you know, maybe you want to, your name is Richard Brody and you want to tell us for three minutes what you think about uh, an elephant sitting still or maybe you're maybe you're on the ringer and you want to tell us to go fuck ourselves but you don't want to do it in an email you want to like get a you want to really get the, the passion there behind it or you're Armand White and you didn't think he went hard enough on Elizabeth Moss okay I'm gonna I forgot I'm gonna end it with this I forgot to mention it before I read the review of Armand White's review of Children of Men and you know what movie he says does um, wonners and he, he didn't use the word wonners but like he used tracking shots better than Children of Men, which he, like, made fun of, is Good Transformers. Goodfellas, which is, okay. And Bonfire of the Vanities. So, you know, do whatever you want with that. Um, but it, <laughs> until you can wrap your head around that, uh, go see a movie, drink a beer, and we'll talk to you next week.